Chapter 9, May 1974, age 19. About 10 months after going on the lam, Anthony drove Robert and little Joe back to New York, where they stayed with a Jewish guy named Squinty in his apartment on Pacific and Sockman. For the first two months, it was more of the same situation. Stay inside, don't cause any trouble. Robert was still going stir-crazy, but he knew this is what he had to do, although he and little Joe would take an occasional nighttime stroll. People would come around and bring food or give money to Squinty to buy food. Summertime rolled around again. Blaze took Robert and little Joe to Corona, Queens, where they met a guy who provided them with fake driver's license. For now, Robert would be known as John Rosato. Afterwards, Blaze dropped Robert and little Joe off at the apartment. Over the next few months, Robert found out a lot about Nicky. He was a thick-blooded Brooklynite whose parents were immigrants from Italy. He was a short guy like Robert, who actually had a couple more inches in height than Nicky. But Robert soon found out that Nicky wasn't a guy you'd challenge. He was tough as nails, and his intelligence made him an even more daunting adversary. Nicky did not have the clout of Fat Andy, since, since Fat Andy and a few others were the only made men at the time. But he and his associate Lenny were genuine mobsters and dedicated to that lifestyle. Robert started driving for Nicky, which meant he was no longer cooped up at Squinty's place. Nicky had a 1973 Cadillac Eldorado, and Robert loved to drive it around, especially when Nicky didn't need him. He'd pick up Angelo and they'd cruise around, trying to impress girls. For the first time in a while, Robert was experiencing the freedom he was used to, not to mention the increase in status since going to work for Nicky. Even though he had a fake driver's license, he knew he still needed to play it safe, which meant avoiding the cops. Ever since Robert went to work for Nicky, Robert's relationship with Anthony cooled. Anthony's crew had already lost Tommy, who, after surviving the attack, quit hanging out with them, leaving Herman and Little Joe as Anthony's crew. But in October, Little Joe was arrested for the murder of the big guy. In December, on his 20th birthday, a large group of Robert's friends took him to a club called Broadcasters Inn, so named because it was housed in the building that used to be a radio station. The communications tower, still mounted on top, verified that fact. It was one of the most popular dance clubs in the area. Long streams of high-heeled girls and sequin dresses and guys in silk shirts lined its perimeter every night it was open. Robert and his party, which included Angelo and Herman, arrived at the door around 10 o'clock p.m. and walked inside the large foyer, still decorated with colorful lights and garland left over from Christmas. Since they were known for ringing up healthy bar tabs, they were able to skip the long wait and $5 cover charge. Hey, Robert, the doorman said to Robert as he unhooked the thick, satiny rope on the stanchion that divided the foyer from the rest of the club. Hey, Jake, good to see you, Robert said. I see the place is packed tonight. As usual, Jake replied, as the unusually buff doorkeeper kept an eye on the line of commoners trying to wiggle into the warmth of the foyer. Do you have a place for us? Robert asked, passing a 20 to Jake as he shook his hand. Jake pocketed the 20. I got some tables reserved for use guys in the back. He looked toward the dance floor and signaled one of the other club employees who hurried over to where they were. Help my friends out here, will ya? You bet, he said right this way. Robert and his entourage followed the young men past the first group of booths and tables, past the dance floor, to several tables near the back close to the club's inoperative kitchen. After ordering and finishing off their first round of beers and scotches on the rocks, Angelo brought out 
a white quarter sheet birthday cake with Happy Birthday Robert written in red. Angelo pulled out his lighter and lit the single large candle in the center of the cake as everyone sang the birthday song. After half the cake disappeared, most of the party made their way out to the dance floor while Robert and a few others went into the kitchen. I got a little something for you, Angelo said. He led Robert over to the corner of the kitchen where several rows of white powder lined up like a plowed field of snow. Go ahead, Angelo said as he offered Robert a straw cut to one-third its original size. By now, Robert was accustomed to recreational drug use. Since the time he was a kid sniffing model airplane glue, he had tried several drugs, including cocaine, with no signs of addiction. Still, he was a little hesitant because he considered himself a mobster, and the usage of drugs in that particular world was strictly banned. Then again, it was his 20th birthday, ceremoniously moving from the teenage years into adulthood. A line of coke never hurt anyone, right? Robert took the straw from Angelo and brought it up to his right nostril as he lined up with one of the white rows. Robert was having a great time, especially after meeting a girl named Sharon and her friends, with whom he returned to the kitchen for, for more cake and coke. It was getting close to midnight when he noticed a group of Puerto Ricans walk in. They scoped the place out, seeming to evaluate the possibilities of either scoring or fighting. It wasn't hard for Robert to recognize the potential for trouble. He nudged Herman and nodded toward the other guys who were now at the bar. Yeah, I saw them when they first come in. Herman yelled over the blaring music. Robert said, keep an eye on them, and then turned his attention back to Sharon. As the night turned into morning, Sharon had to leave, so Robert escorted her into the foyer. As he reached for the handle to the door, it flew open. On the other side was one of the guys from the other crew, breathing a frosty cloud into the chilly night. Robert locked eyes with him, hatred seething from both men. Sharon thought the guy was holding the door open for them and started to go through. As she put one foot in the doorway, he shut it. She screamed in pain. Without a thought, Robert threw his shoulder into the door, knocking the guy on the other side to the ground. He reached down and picked him up, cursing him and his family. You think it's okay to hurt a lady? Before the guy had a chance to reply, Robert had him against the wall and was pounding him with his fist relentlessly, never giving the guy a chance to throw his own punches. When his hand got sore, he took his gun tucked into his pants and beat him with it. After a few seconds of pistol whipping, Robert's opponent slumped to the ground. Robert wiped his runny nose with the back of his hand. Not such a tough guy anymore, huh? He kicked the guy in the ribs before opening the door and going back inside. It was then he realized that another fight had broken out inside the foyer with several of his friends and members of the other crew. In the middle of the raucous, Robert saw someone lying on the floor. He walked over to where the guy was, his gun hanging at his side. He couldn't see the guy's face, but he knew it wasn't one of his friends. As he started to put the gun into his pants, he tried to release the hammer, but it slipped. A bullet rifled into the floor next to Robert's feet, setting off shrieks by a couple of female patrons standing close by. He shot him! One of the women was pointing at Robert. What? No, he was just... My gun just... Someone else screamed, and again, Robert made a quick escape through the front door with Angelo and Herman right behind him, disappearing into the frigid night. <laughs>